0: something you'll be looking at the passage with us this morning will be in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9. Um, just a, a brief, brief bit of recap. Um, Ecclesiastes is is a book of wisdom, um, and yet it is primarily the exceptions rather than the rule. And and so if you've read through Proverbs, you know we, we kind of see the rule of life, that if you do these things, you should expect this outcome. Um, and Ecclesiastes steps in and says, hey, there's some... Ex- um, exceptions to that and and ultimately, although a lot of us like um, a little bit of surprise, a little bit of nuance um, for things not to be too mundane if, if we 're honest, we really don 't like to be jarred right like in, in this moment, even right now, you have an expectation of what the rest of this morning will look like and so if if all of a sudden that changed, and um, I started to to expect you to stand or to speak or to do something. That would be jarring to you this morning. You would remember it. You, you would probably not like it, right? Like there's an, an expectation of what this morning should look like. Some of you are, are nodding your heads emphatically, right? But you would not like that. Um, and, and so the exception to that would, would feel jarring. Ecclesiastes steps in and says, hey, there are times where we get jarred in life. And there are some exceptions to the norm. And so this morning, as we read through chapter 9, I, I want us to really kind of put on the observer's uh, shoes, right, his his glasses, his lenses, because Ecclesiastes is being written from the perspective of someone who's looking out at the world and trying to make sense of it, right, under the sun, right, not with a kingdom, um, a godly perspective, but just looking at the world and saying, how do we make sense of what we can observe um, if, if we're saying we're not sure where God fits into this, right? And so this morning it would be easy for us just to say, well, we know where God fits, we don't really want to observe. But if, if we will read through Ecclesiastes 9 with the idea of how would someone who doesn't know Jesus, right? Would, would these be accurate um, observations of the world? Do we find them to be accurate even in knowing Jesus? All right, so let's begin in verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it at all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to the one who sacrifices and the one who does not. The good one, so is the sinner. The one who swears is the one who shuns an oath. This is an evil, and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go on to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is under the sun. Go down to verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, even though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. We, we see the observer this morning just being extraordinarily um, honest and, and, and really kind of pessimistic, right? We, we know there's some nuance and, and some poetic things going on here, um, but really where I want us to start is this. Um, it, it, probably chapter 9 feels a little repetitious to you. Not repetitious in chapter 9 itself, but repetitious in comparison with the rest of the book. Right, that it begins to feel like, hey, I, I, I have a sense of what the author is going to say in Ecclesiastes. It's pessimistic, it's negative, um, it's, it's the exception, not the rule. Um, he's concerned about death. Ecclesiastes is about to turn. We, we've, we've got just a couple chapters left, and he's going to begin to wrap things up. And, and I think this morning it's important for us um, to, to see the, the repetition, because we have a tremendous ability to ignore right? Like, we are prone to forget, and we're really good at ignoring the things that we don't want, right? We can be slow to get it. We can be dismissive. If, if, right, you think about um, an employee at work, right, Um, or a child hearing uh, instruction and teaching, and just being like, yeah, I don't want to do that, right? And they're just slow to get it intentionally, right? They're defiant, or they're dismissive, or maybe it's just that I'm not sure if I understand it. We'll just move on, and if you think about the way that the church works here in the West, right? We, we just kind of assume some things. We're going to teach this morning and then next Sunday there will be a different passage, a different section of Scripture. And what Ecclesiastes is doing is saying, hey, if you didn't like that idea, that thought, I need you to wrestle with it a little more. I'm going to make you keep coming back to it if you're going to be honest. Instead of just saying, well, I heard it, I'm going to move on to something else that I like. See if I can illustrate this. Um, when we were in Yemen, one of the, the things, I didn't I went to Yemen knowing one word of Arabic. Most people didn't speak English, so we were going to be in language school some four hours a day for the first year. And early on, it was evident that there were folks in the class, including my wife, who were going to excel and pick up language quickly, and that I was not. Right? That I was going to be at the bottom of the class. And there was early on um, it, this was seriously in the first couple months. We're sitting in class, and the teacher has... It, you feel like you're like in elementary school or kindergarten again. So they're like, all right, we want you to talk about your family this morning. And so I've got you know, my, my words. I'm going to describe my mom and my dad and my sister. My, like, and so I'm up, and I'm speaking in Arabic, and my, my teacher, who is an Arab woman, keeps interrupting me. And when I'm talking about my sister, she keeps saying, Hiya, Hiya. I'm like, no, 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 she, she, not a he, she, my sister's a girl, right? No, he, he, and so like I'm I'm getting flustered because so I'm already not good at this, and I'm like, no, 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 she, she is a girl. Well, here's the deal, the word he means her, right, it means she, it's a feminine word. I thought she was speaking English, and she was confused trying to tell me that my sister was a he, she was telling me, No, he is the feminine, and you're doing it wrong. Right? Like, you're using the wrong Arabic word. And so, in that moment, when I'm giving this illustration, like this, this um, conversation, I thought I had prepared, I thought I had memorized, I thought I kind of knew what I was doing. Um, there was probably a little bit of arrogance or pride as she was correcting me. I'm like, Oh, you don't understand English. Let me help you. And she's actually correcting my Arabic, and I look like a fool. Right? Like, I, I'm the one that's like, oh. And, and I had this moment, like a, a breakthrough, because Carmen's sitting in the back of the room, like, because she understands. And everyone's just sitting there shaking their head, like, you're, you're a moron. I mean, like, ever, we all have figured this out. Like, you're the worst one in the class. By the way, that did continue for the whole year we were there. Um, the teacher got to the point where she would, when they, the other students needed a, a moment of levity, she would ask me a question in Arabic. So that they could all laugh, laugh at my response. And I really was, I was trying. But in that moment, I had, I was, I was sure that I knew what I was doing. I was wrong. I needed like this, this breakthrough. This, oh, I am misunderstanding. The reason that there's such repetition in Ecclesiastes is the arrogance that we might think that we just know it. Okay, we've heard it, we've got it, let's move on. And he's saying, I, I'm not sure that you do. I'm not sure that you really are grasping the the reality of life, that death is coming. And you're probably tired of hearing that, right? But I need you, before we move on, right, the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, I need you to look at this and consider it one more time. And so, um, as we step into the shoes of the observer, what what does he see? If you look at verse 1, he says, I've examined it all, how both the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. And he asks the question, like, is it a good thing to be there? And he says, like, we can think about the world, and we can think about good relationships, and and, and good food, and good places that we've visited, and we can think about joy, and, and all of these positives, like the beauty of nature. We can start to list positives, good things, in life, And yet we can quickly then start to throw up a list of tragedy, and death, and sickness, and turmoil, and broken relationships. And just as quickly, and maybe even more so, we can start to throw up a list of hard things and difficult things. And so he says, Okay, so now we've got these two lists, and both of them are true, and one of them's beautiful, and one of them's really harsh. So which is it? And he's asking the question, going, Okay, I, I think we're in God's hand. I think-, I think he's doing something, and this is someone who is an observer of the world. He's like, But is it a good place to be? Is it safe to be in God's hands? Is it where I want to be? Is he indifferent to us? Is he just like letting the world spin and seeing what happens? Is he actually concerned or showing any care? And this idea of, is it love or is it hate in verse 1? Is it love or hate? Is the idea of, are we accepted by God or are we rejected by God? It's kind of the Old Testament language there. Being loved means you're accepted. Being hated means you're, you're, you're rejected. So are we loved and accepted by God or not? And he's asking this question. And he has proof, right? He has some examples here of why it would be wise to ask this question. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, the reason I'm asking if it's safe to be in God's hand, he goes, because we all die. He's like, the righteous die and the wicked die. The good die and the evil die. The clean one and the unclean one. The one who does religious sacrifice, the one who doesn't. The one who's good, the one who's a sinner, the one who swears oaths, and the one who does He's like, there's not a path forward where we get to avoid death. So do we want to be in God's hand or not? Is it, is it safe? Is He looking for us? Like in this world, we cannot maneuver in a way that we avoid death. And you can just see the fear um, and the concern that the author has about that. We go down to verse 11 and 12. Or, or, sorry, before we do that. Um, verses 4, 5, and 6. Um, he, he's really just kind of being sarcastic about death. He says, um, The one who's joined with the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. In the Arab world, they hate dogs. Like dogs are considered disease carriers. They're, they're not really pets. So you, you think of this and you're like, yeah, a dog is good. But He's, he's being sarcastic. He says, "For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing." He's saying, "You know what's better than being dead? Being alive and know you'll die, right?" Like he's just kind of mocking the fact of, like you're either dead or you know you're going to die. And and he's just kind of he's he's philosophically kind of waxing here. And I'm struggling with the fact that death is just everywhere and we can't avoid it. He then goes to verse 11 and talks about just kind of sudden. Tragedy and calamity. And the image he gives are, are birds flying, doing their thing, and all of a sudden a net gets thrown over them and they're trapped. Or fish swimming, doing their thing, living their life, and all of a sudden a net scoops them up. And the ones who aren't scooped up, what do they do? Keep on going. They just keep on doing their thing. right? We, he's saying you can be moving through this life pretending like death isn't coming for you, and then sudden tragedy or calamity can strike. (coughs) And at that point, he's like, then what do you want? Like, what do you most desperately want when someone around you has suffered grief or tragedy or loss, or you are the one? You want the world to stop. You want to find the pause button and say, no, 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 no. Like, how are y'all still going to work? How are you still doing these things? The world should stop because they're not here anymore. And we feel, feel the angst and the anger and the frustration when the world keeps on moving. And yet we have felt sudden calamity, struggle, tragedy. Right? And this is where, as as humans, we're really good at just moving forward. And and we look at someone else and say, man, I'm so sorry you're in that situation. I'll stop for a couple days. Got to keep going. And he's saying, like, we... We have experienced this. And when it's us, we're, we're, we're really not wanting to be in the net. But otherwise, we're the fish that keep on swimming. Glad we weren't caught in the net. He says, like, we, we don't know our time. We don't know when it's coming for us. He then goes on and says, look, so we, we know death is coming. We can't avoid it. It's often tragic, and it happens Suddenly. And it affects us, and, and we're broken by the fact that the world doesn't pause, but it keeps on moving, which adds more grief to us. And then we get down to verses 13 through 16, and he tells this strange story. And he says, like, there's a, he, he's giving us these like vast differences. So there's a small town, right? Few people in it, and a great and powerful king comes and lays out a great um, offensive attack against the city, and they're going to be taken. They're going to be destroyed. And yet there's this poor man. It's not his resources that are going to bring it about. It's his wisdom. And this poor old man, and he doesn't even give us his plan because he's like, that's not the point. But he um, has a tactic. He has wisdom that allows the city to survive and to defeat the king and to win. And so you're like, I'm not sure where you're going here. So, right, I'm, I'm like, why are we telling this story? And listen to what he says. So they're delivered, right? Yet no one remembered that poor man. I say that wisdom is better than my. Though so the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, they're saying so. He saves the city, and all of a sudden, okay, the the the, the thing that we're afraid of happening is no longer going to happen. And what do they do? Go on with their life. They don't change his circumstance or his situation at all. They forget that he rescued them. Right when when tragic things happen in a community, or in a school, or in a family, or in our nation. Right, there's a moment of pause where everyone's eyes are on the siege works and the great king who's opposed us. And then somehow, some way, wisdom prevails, right? We survive and before long we've moved on like it never happened. We didn't really learn our lesson. We weren't really changed, we weren't really affected by it. And we're like, Oh yeah. What was that guy's name? I'm really glad he did right, like we just we've left it we've moved on. We don't we don't need it any longer. At least not in the moment. So he said in this lopsided story, right? Wisdom is is used, and then it's forgotten. The question that he's asking, the question that maybe your heart is asking, if you're not tired of it at this point, is is this all that there is? Like, is, is this it? Is this is this what life looks like? That you do your best, and then you die. Right? That you, that you you work hard and then the exception happens and you're the one that trauma befalls. Like, is this is this it? That's the question that's being asked before this morning. The question that chapter 9 is leading us to is, are we comfortable with where life is? And maybe the question then is, is for us is, what is our response in this? Because what is our response to difficulty? I was talking to Marvin before the service this morning and in parenting how hard it is when I see like, sin in my kids, not because they're sinning, but because it looks like me. Right? And, I, and I look at their response like, oh, I respond to God that way. And so in our difficulty, if you're the one that's in the midst of calamity, if you're the one that's caught in the net, if you're the one that says, I was clean, I made sacrifices, I did all the right things, I wasn't a sinner, and still this happens, right, what's our response? Like are you a whiner? What are you doing? It's me here, right? Wham, right? Are you the angry one? You think you are you're treating me this way? I'm different. I deserve better. Are you the one that privately is going to stew because you got to keep your image, right? You don't want anyone to know you're mad but inside your heart and your mind are disconnecting as you stew and say, okay, I'll do it myself. I'll figure it out. Are you the one who becomes dramatic and hysterical and draws additional attention and now we forget what the issue is because you're like just losing your mind? Are you the one that says, okay, you can't hurt me and you become indifferent and numb and you just kind of check out? Like as, as I even think through those five categories, like my kids hit three of them at least, right? Like they each kind of bring a different nuance to it. And then if I think of circumstances in my life, I've I've done all of those. But but when your kid is losing their mind and whining, or they're losing their mind and they're angry, or they're losing their mind and they're hysterical, or they're losing their mind, right? In any of these ways, what is it, what are you really trying to do as a parent? You're going no 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 no, no. stay with me, breathe. Look at me, listen, stop, here. consider, you're misunderstanding something here. You are making this now, it's only about you, and you can only feel what you're feeling, and we can't fix this. Ecclesiastes this morning is saying, some of you are whiners, and some of you are angry, and some of you are indifferent, and you're numb, and you're just kind of checked out. And some of you are going through the motions, but inwardly you're disconnecting. You say, no, no, no. That's not what tragedy and difficulty are supposed to do. They're supposed to make you stop, consider, to look up, to ask the question, is it safe to be in the Lord's hand? Is it a good place? Does He see me? Does He know me? Is He indifferent to me? Does He love me? Does He accept me? Like, what is happening? Because as a human race, we're survivors. Right? We, we continue to strive to live and to keep moving forward. Why? Because in Ecclesiastes 3, we're, or three verse 11, we're reminded that God has put eternity into our hearts. Like we have a, a survival instinct because it's put within us that we're supposed to live forever. We're supposed to long for something more. And so when the world hits us in the face and we respond, the question is, is do we lose the ability to consider and to focus and to see what's happening? because we're whining or we're angry or we're hysterical, or are we able to consider, okay, God, what's happening here? Because in the midst of chapter 9, we have a few verses. Look at verse 7. So go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that's your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And so he pauses here and he says, wait a second, to enjoy life. And it seems counterintuitive of like, hey, we're going to die and all these horrible things. Like, and he says, no, no, no. Slow down. Enjoy life. Enjoy it for what it is. See it rightly. And so in this moment, right, if you feel like God's hand is not a safe place to be, you don't want to be there, you don't trust Him, you're going, if that's all there is, I don't want it. But if you see God's hand is a safe place, place to be. If you've been given a different perspective in this life, in this world, you can begin to breathe and say, okay, there's something I do. And there's this is where the path can diverge here. God has given us good gifts. He wants you to have them. He wants you to enjoy them. He's given us food and a variety of it. He's given us relationships, friendship, romantic relationships, family. He's given us work, things that we can be Satisfied in accomplishing and doing with our own hands, our own ingenuity, our own creativity. Like it's if you find pleasure in good meals and good people and good work, good. You're supposed to. It's a gift from God. He wants you to have these things. But James. Four is kind of our New Testament version of Ecclesiastes. He says, be careful, because your life is a vapor. It's a mist, and it's quickly gone. And the, the issue is, is if we begin to hold on to those things like they are life itself, we will find them to be vapor that we can't hold on to. That so we have to see them rightly. So instead of living in fear of death, like the, the certainty of it, Right? He's he's trying to give us a different perspective. I think there's a, a scene in The Wizard of Oz where she's Dorothy's like locked up and I I don't really enjoy the movie, but I, I think I remember a scene where there's like sand, right? And and like the sand is like the witch is given to her and it's like just it's quickly evaporating, right? If we're not careful, that's our response to the world. That we're holed up and we feel it slipping through our fingers. And it's like, we can't even like do anything because we're like it's going fast, it's going fast, it's going to leave, what do we do? I can't stop it. Ecclesiastes says, hey, a lot of you, that's where you're at. You're panicked because life is going quickly and you can't do anything to stop it. He says, but I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to think that that's what I'm asking you to do. Instead, I want you to recognize the certainty that death is coming. It is. Now be freed by it. And live in light of it. Live in light of that reality. Enjoy this life because of what God has given us. And know that your seasons, some of them are going to be good and some are going to be hard. Some of your circumstances are going to be re- um, great and some of them are going to be really bad. Enjoy life for what it is. You can still have your emotions they are buffeted by truth. Right, and that's where we begin to segue this morning. So you can lament because the world's broken and it is. You can be angry at injustice in the world, and you should be, but you can also enjoy things if we see them as gifts from a good God who gives us good things. Listen, if we can begin to live in light of the fact that death is coming and that we can be secure and safe in God's hand, right? It allows it's like Christians have done crazy hard things, right, for all of history. It's why they've been on the front lines of the mission field in dangerous places where people's lives are lost. It's where we've seen doctors and hospitals on the front line when when their lives could be lost, right? It's because this life isn't off. I'm secure that my death isn't the end, and I can't keep it from happening anyway. It's why some of you have chosen to live lives that mean you make less money or get less less renown, right? It's why you've poured yourself out on behalf of folks, because you know this life isn't all. If it is, you would try to get it all, but it's not. We're headed somewhere. We're headed to be with God for all time. And so death can't touch us. And so what he's saying is recognize death is coming, and for those in Christ, you don't have to fear it. You don't have to fear it, because it's your faith becoming sight. And so now live and enjoy and react and do hard things, and if you put your life at risk, like to do something for the glory of God, it's okay, because it's not about having the longest, most comfortable, easy life in this world anyway, that we see rightly. And so as we think about Dorothy in the sand and her panic and her fear, Begin to think about the imagery we see in Jesus in Scripture. Matthew 7, solid ground, not sand. The Psalms, that God is refuge, that He is strength, that He is rock. John 10, that we are in God's secure hands, right? And nothing is going to remove us. Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the, from the love of God. Right? That these begin to become the truth, the that. The, the solid rock that we stand on is that Jesus can be grasped, he's not vapor, he's not vanity; it is solid, and so we follow him, and in Ecclesiastes we begin to know a bit of his suffering, right First Peter says that we we follow him in his suffering, that we trust his character. This is John chapter eleven. He's talking to Mary and Martha. Lazarus has died, his friend, and they're saying, "Hey, if you had been here, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died." And in verse 25 of chapter 11, Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who loves who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this?" She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Right? He says this to her first before he raises Lazarus. Right? His raising of Lazarus was proof that what he's saying is true. That he has come to restore, to make right, that we can trust his character, that we can trust his ability, that he is God and he is taking us to the place that we belong. That he is solid ground; he is not sand, and so we don't have to fear death. We don't have to live trying to avoid it, because in in our death is our faith becoming sight. And so we go back to the good gifts of Ecclesiastes nine of your your spouse, your relationship, your eating, your drinking, your work. Church, then the, here's the the risk is that we make those things really really bad God. And you begin to say, I have to have a perfect family, and you crush your family. I have to have the perfect meaningful work, and it can't sustain you. It doesn't meet those needs. Right? And, and now meals aren't satisfying. Relationships aren't satisfying. Um, C.S. Lewis says it like this. Natural loves The things that God has given us, food, relationships, things like this, that are allowed to become gods, do not remain loves. They're still called so, but can become, in fact, complicated forms of hatred. That we love our family, and yet when our family becomes our God, we can begin to, to hold tightly to it, to destroy it, to lose it. When work becomes our God, it doesn't satisfy. When money becomes our God, there's never enough. When pleasure becomes our God, it becomes twisted, and we need more, and we're insatiable. And so instead of receiving good gifts and seeing them for what they are, gifts from a good God, lift your chin and rejoice and thank Him. We make them God, and they become vapor and sand, right, that we cannot hold on to, that we cannot grasp. One way that we do this, right, is where our prayer is always that someone would avoid death. But how often do we pray, God, help them live in light of their death? Not in fear, right? Not as Dorothy, right? But on solid ground, living in light of it, making much of Jesus, feeling anchored and secure in Him. Here's there will be a day where your faith in Jesus will be made sight. Your death will usher into you eternity with Him. Solid, ground. There will no longer be a mist, a vapor, because better is coming. I want to read a couple final verses to finish. This is Revelation 19, beginning in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Right, this picture that there will be a day where the church, right, the people of God will sit and feast with Jesus, dress, right in bright clothing right that were our righteous deeds. If you go back to Ecclesiastes, go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, and let oil not be lacking on your head. That is a mist and a, a picture that we can't quite grasp. It will become reality for us. It will be um, not... Vanishing ground, but solid ground. And then a passage we've read already in Ecclesiastes, this is Isaiah 25, but one this morning that connects so well. Beginning in verse 6. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. This is not merely like theoretical, intellectual. Church, it can anchor your soul through the the decades of your life. That that day is more true than this day. Because this is a mist, and that is sure and secure. And that is where we're headed. And so in the meantime, we enjoy good gifts. And we trust the Lord's faithfulness, whether our circumstances are good or difficult right now. Because there will be a day where the tears will be wiped away from your individual face if you are in Christ and you will sit with Jesus, your faith will be made sight, and you will feast, and you will laugh, and you will enjoy, and you will worship, and you will celebrate, and it will be real, and it will no longer be vapor because you will be able to grasp it. And if that is where we're looking, then this is simply merely a way for us to get there. And death has lost its sting. Like we mourn it, we grieve it, we hate it, it's not the way it's supposed to be. But it doesn't own us any longer. We are no longer enslaved to it because we've been freed to live in light of the fact that death is coming and it is our, the door to Jesus. And listen, if you don't know Him, then death should terrify you. And if you do, then you are freed to live differently. This morning, um, the band's going to come back up. We're going to celebrate. We're going to sing to our King. We're going to worship. Um, you can feel free to stand, to sit, to pray. There will be folks for you to pray with in the back if you need to. But to let the Spirit just move and minister in you. We also have the Lord's Supper set up in, in three locations. right? For believers, those who have trusted that Jesus is sufficient. They don't have to live in fear of death because His body was broken for you and His blood was spilt on your behalf. That we take and we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup because this morning... We are not claiming to be the ones who have rescued ourselves, but Jesus has done it. And we want to live in light of that. We want to live as hope in a world that far too much believes Ecclesiastes is the only way. We want to say that, no, no, Jesus gives us a way to navigate a life that looks like Ecclesiastes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord we don't want to just intellectually nod in agreement at these things we want our souls to soar our hearts to to beat and breathe, knowing and believing this and walking in the light uh and walking in the truth of this perspective and God, we can't lift that switch. we're asking you to do it, Lord for those who don't know you that you would rescue that you would call their name and draw them into relationship with you, God that they would follow you knowing that you don't promise um, an, an ease of life, but you promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that there will be a day where our faith will be made sight. Lord, for those of us who have clung to the really poor substitutes of God, God, would we repent and release those things, receive them as the good gifts they are without making them God. God, would we let the circumstances of life constantly lift our chin to see that it is a good and right, safe place to be in your hands. We, we need you, and we ask you to speak to work and to move among us this morning. Jesus,